been a year-long battle with postpartum depression, anxiety, and insomnia. A therapist gave Jenny Morrison what proved to be a life-altering suggestion. Why don't you try drinking a small glass of wine at night? Morrison, who was a longtime follower of Christ, tried her doctor's suggestion that night. She said, it made me sleepy, gave me almost immediate relief from the depression and anxiety. Over the course of several years, Jeannie drank more and more until she nearly lost her family and her life. Her struggle with alcohol came to a head when her husband, Tim, and their eight-year-old daughter returned home from a walk one day to find her passed out in a bedroom. Even though doctors had warned that she might die from kidney and liver failure, it didn't stop her from drinking. She said that switch had flipped on and there was just no turning it off. Tim had reached a breaking point. He found a treatment center in California that could help his wife. And after 31 days in 2013, accompanied by a sense of God's presence and the prayers of her friends, Jeannie Morrison came home sober. She hasn't had a drink since, and today she believes strongly in total abstinence as a preventive to what happened to her. Friend, this morning I want to talk about a very sensitive issue, about the use of alcohol among Christians. In the 42 years that I have been preaching, I have never preached a full message on alcohol. This is the first. You say, well, why today? There are a number of reasons. First of all, If you're a guest with us this morning, I'm preaching through a series of messages through the letter of Ephesians. I preach the Bible verse by verse. I don't practice kangaroo exegesis where you hop all over the tough passages of the Bible. We're in a series and we've come to Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 18, which is the verse that we're at today, Paul says this, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now it's important that we understand what Paul is saying here. Next Sunday, we will look at the other half of the verse where he tells us, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second reason that I've chosen to preach on this subject is it is personal. I come from a family of alcohol abusers. I had an aunt who died from alcohol abuse. My dad, who had stopped drinking for years, started back late in life and nearly died in a car crash. My brother committed suicide because he was mixing alcohol with prescription meds that he was taking for depression. As a young person, I, myself, 
took this same foolish path. The third reason that I am preaching on this subject is that many godly men and women within the church today who love Jesus, who love the Lord with all of their heart, wonder about this subject. Is it okay for me as a Christian to drink? There are a lot of different attitudes in the church about this subject. My intent this morning is not to condone nor condemn the use of alcohol. I am attempting to give you a fair, clear, biblical understanding of this issue so you can make your own decision under the guidance of the Holy Spirit as to what you should do about it. If you look there in your Bible in Ephesians 5 verse 18, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. In verse 15, leading up to this verse, Paul had said, said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And in verse 17, he said, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is saying, here's what the will of the Lord is for your life. Do not get drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now why? Why does he say that? Well, considering the contrast he has made previously to this verse between light and darkness and wisdom and foolishness, Paul wants the reader to see that getting drunk is a mark of darkness and foolishness, while being filled with the Spirit is a mark of walking in light and walking in wisdom. So here's the takeaway. While the Bible does not expressly forbid the use of alcohol, the wise choice for the Christian is total abstinence. I want to consider this issue from five angles. Let's look at it, at what the Bible says, first of all, about the drinking of alcohol. Two things should be made clear. First, the Bible does not condemn drinking. Despite its many warnings about the dangers of wine, drinking is not totally forbidden in Scripture. It is, in fact, sometimes commended. The Bible uses the word wine 231 times. Most of these verses are very positive. Most of the uses of this word are very positive. And they refer to wine as a blessing from God. One instance is in Proverbs chapter 3. Look up there on the screen at verses 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. In the Old Testament, one of the daily offerings they brought to the temple was a wine offering. Well, what about Jesus? He turned water into wine. In Luke 7, he contrasted his lifestyle to that of John the Baptist, saying, For John has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. But then look what he says about himself. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. On the night before he died, Jesus took a cup of wine and said to his disciples, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He wrote to Timothy, 
No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Friend, anybody who honestly reads the Bible understands that it does not condemn the use of wine. However, the Bible does condemn drunkenness. We read here in this verse, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Well, what does being drunk mean? Well, is it a slight buzz, or is it just being happy or giddy? In most states, 100 milligrams of alcohol in 100 milliliters of blood is the legal definition of being drunk. It's where you lose self-control. You do or say things that without alcohol you would never have done or said. You become a different person. John MacArthur says this, he said, drunkenness is the clouding or disruption of, by alcohol of any part of a person's mind so that it affects his faculties. A person is drunk to the extent that alcohol has restricted or modified any part of his thinking or acting. Drunkenness has many degrees, but it begins when it starts to interrupt the normal functions of the body and the mind. Friend, being drunk causes you to do things you never would do if you were sober. I think we can all agree on that. Amen? So scripture doesn't condemn drinking, but it does condemn drunkenness. Look in the second place at the description of alcohol. What exactly do we mean when we talk about wine and alcohol? Now, while it is true that Jesus drank wine and he changed water into wine, the word wine in the Bible doesn't mean what the word wine means today. There are three primary words the New Testament uses for wine. The first word is sakira. That means strong drink because of its high alcohol content. That word is used in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, where it says of John the Baptist, he must not drink wine or strong drink. The next word is glucose. That's the word from which we get our English word glucose. It refers to new wine that is very sweet. Now, some of the onlookers at Pentecost accused the apostles of being drunk. And it was this kind of wine that it refers to there in Acts chapter 2, verse 13. That's the word used there. The word that is used most often, though, is oinos. That means mixed wine. That refers to the juice of grapes. When it says Jesus changed water into wine, the word there is oinos as it's the same word that is used of the wine that was used at the Lord's Supper, at the Last Supper. You see, in Bible times, they would mash grapes to make wine. To keep it from fermenting, they would boil the water off, leaving essentially a grape paste or jam. They would take that jam, that paste, and put it in leather wineskins. 
Then when they wanted to drink some wine, they would take that grape jam and mix it with water. Normally, one part jam to three to four cups of water. We would call it reconstituted grape juice. It was essentially purified water. In the ancient world, plain water was unsafe to drink. So people made it safe either by boiling it or by the safest and easiest method, mixing it with wine. That killed the germs present in the water. Friend, the wine and the beer and the alcoholic beverages today are not remotely equivalent to the wine of the first century. They all fit into the strong drink category. You don't believe me? Look at this. Alcohol content of today's alcoholic beverages. Wine is 10 to 12% alcohol. Beer is about 5%. Sherry or brandy is about 20%. Hard liquor is about 50% and more of alcohol. And for those of you who are teetotalers, your NyQuil is about 10% in case you just wanted to know. Just had to throw that in there for a little humor. Now listen, you may choose to disagree with me on the issue of drinking, but please do not cite the wine of the New Testament era as your argument or your defense for drinking wine today. The two are clearly not the same thing. New Testament scholar Dr. Robert Stein researched the wine drinking of the ancient world. He scoured both Jewish sources as well as the Bible, and he made a fascinating discovery. He noted that one would have to drink 22 glasses of first century wine in order to consume the same amount of alcohol we get today in only two martinis. Dr. Norman Geisler, well-known Bible scholar, says Christians ought not to drink wine, beer, or other alcoholic beverages, for they are actually strong drink forbidden in Scripture. Even ancient pagans did not drink what Christians drink today. Look in the third place at the dangers of alcohol. I read about a children's Sunday school teacher who was trying to teach her young class of children about the dangers of alcohol. She took two glasses. She filled one with water. She dropped an earthworm in and the worm squiggled around happily. She then took the other glass and she poured vodka into the glass. And then she dropped an earthworm in the glass of vodka. That worm started squiggling a bit. Then it froze up and died and sank to the bottom. The teacher asked, boys and girls, what's the lesson here? One little boy in the class raised his hand and said, teacher, if you drink vodka, you won't ever get worms.
Well, we know the dangers of alcohol is really not a laughing matter, is it? The Bible in Proverbs 23 describes some of the dangers and symptoms of alcohol. Solomon says this, look up there on the screen. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who try, go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. The human body reacts to alcohol like a toxic poison because it kills cells. It interferes with how the brain communicates with the various systems of the body, and it can affect how it works. It's a depressant, and it can cause mental health and emotional injuries such as low self-esteem, loss of memory, poor judgment, confusion, clinical depression, anxiety, temporary euphoria, slurred speech, dementia, disorientation, loss of body function, and dangerous behavior. Alcohol in any quantity can weaken the immune system and make the body more susceptible to disease, such as pancreatitis, diabetes, liver disease, hepatitis, fibrosis, cirrhosis, high blood pressure, hypertension, cardiomyopathy, arrhythmias, stomach ulcers, and several types of cancers. And ladies, listen to this. A study just came out, I just read it yesterday in USA Today, a recent stu a study just came out, 15% of breast cancer cases are caused by alcohol. One third of those cases affected women who drank only one and a half drinks or less a month. Consider these facts. Today, alcohol is America's number one drug problem. Alcohol abuse results in cost of more than $250 billion related to crime, lost work productivity, and health care. Alcoholism rose by 49% in the first decade of the 2000s. One out of every eight American adults, or 12.7% of the U.S. population, now fall into this category. In 2016, more than one million drivers were arrested for driving under the influence of alcohol and narcotics. In 2016, 10,497 people died in alcohol-related accidents, accounting for 28% of all traffic-related deaths in the U.S. Of the 1,233 traffic deaths among children ages 0 to 14, 214 or 17% involved an alcohol-impaired driver. It kills more teenagers than all other drugs combined. Alcohol is a factor in the three leading causes of deaths among 15 to 24-year-olds, accidents, homicides, and suicides. A U.S. Department of Justice study found 40% of violent crimes occur under the influence of alcohol. Alcohol causes heart problems, liver problems, and is powerfully addictive. And we all know that alcohol destroys families and wrecks careers. Abraham Lincoln said it best, 
Alcohol has many defenders, but it doesn't have any defense. Robbie Gallaty, who is a pastor in Tennessee, he pastors the Long Hollow Baptist Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Robbie was raised in New Orleans in a culture where drinking was a part of life. He started drinking at the age of 15 and became an alcoholic. He was in his second attempt at treatment before he found sobriety and Jesus. Sober now for 16 years, Robbie says this. He discusses alcohol in his preaching all the time. He says, I've never met a person drinking who becomes more holy as a result of it. However, I have seen many people destroy their lives because of it. Friend, alcohol can be dangerous, as we all know. Look in the fourth place, the deception of alcohol. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Let me, let me tell you something. In my years of ministry, I've never heard anyone say to me, Pastor, we used to have so much trouble in our marriage, but you know what we did? We both started drinking, and now everything is better. Here's a collection of short statements that address the fact that wine is a deceiver. Let me just mention a few. We drank for happiness and became unhappy. We drank for joy and became miserable. We drank for sociability and became argumentative. We drank for sophistication and became obnoxious. We drank for friendship and made enemies. We drank for sleep and woke up tired. We drank to erase problems and saw them multiply. We drank to cope with life and invited death. When we tell ourselves what having that, what having that drink will do for us, only to find that the drink itself does just the opposite. It ends up doing things altogether different. Wine, alcohol is the great deceiver. That brings me to my last point, the deliverance from alcohol. In the end, the Bible says that alcohol bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. As Dr. James Merritt says, it is impossible to be bitten by a snake that you never play with. Former President George W. Bush quit drinking at the age of 40. His wife, Laura, had challenged him to stop drinking time after time, but nothing really changed until after one day she asked him a troubling question. She asked the former president, if he could remember the last day he hadn't had a drink. That's when the former president began to realize he had to make a choice between alcohol and God. Among the things that helped him to stop drinking, he says, was a meeting with Billy Graham and reading his Bible. And here's the bottom line. Like it or not, you may already be characterized as a social alcoholic. Every night, you want a beer or a glass of wine. You never think about dinner without having a drink. It's a regular part of your evening routine. Here's what you're faced with. Am I going to drink? Am I going to drink in moderation? 
Can I be sure that I won't drink and get drunk? How do I know that I might not become an alcoholic? How do I know that someone else, one of my children or grandchildren or my mate or someone, sees me drinking and they begin drinking themselves and they become an alcoholic? You see, we have to make a choice whether it's important enough to take the chance or not. As we've seen, the Bible does not expressly forbid the use of wine. But I think the wise choice for a mature Christian is to abstain. You say, well, why do you say that, Rick? Well, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 5, and you think about the whole context of this uh, chapter, of chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul is saying, don't be foolish be wise. And I think the wisest choice is to just say no. Why? Because as Solomon said to us in Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler and whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Mel Trotter was a derelict alcoholic. He was living on the streets of Chicago he had lost his job. He abused his family. When his daughter died, she was laying in the funeral home. Trotter was craving a drink so badly. He went to the funeral home where his daughter lay in her casket. He had no money. And he reached into the casket, took the little shoes off of his daughter's feet, walked down to a bar that he frequented quite often, laid the shoes up on the bar, and said to the man, the bartender, what will you give me for these shoes? Can I get a drink for these shoes? Now that bartender knew Mel Trotter because he had come in there quite often. He looked at him in his desperation and he said, Mel, keep your shoes, take them back, I will give you. A drink. Sometime later, Mel Trotter found himself in a rescue mission on the streets of Chicago where he heard about Jesus Christ. He became a changed man. After he got saved, Mel Trotter became an evangelist. And this is his testimony. He said, I tried everything. There wasn't any program that I hadn't gone through. I had taken cure after cure. I had made resolution after resolution, but just one glimpse of Jesus Christ, and I have never wanted another drink from that instant to this. I was trying to fill that emptiness with something else, and I discovered that Jesus is the only one who truly satisfies. Friend, it would have been a lot easier had I just skipped over the first part of this verse this morning and left this subject alone. And make those of you who have chosen to drink feel comfortable in your moderation. But let me ask you this. Is your social drinking, in your social drinking, have you ever had one drink too many and know it? Are you concerned about the destructive problem 
of alcoholism? Do you want to contribute to an industry that has helped to ruin countless lives? I thank God that he helped me as a young person see that what I needed more than alcohol to find the satisfaction that I was longing for in my yacht life as a young person was never going to be found in alcohol, no matter how much I drank. But he has promised, and he has fulfilled his promise, that all the satisfaction that I ever longed for and needed has been found in Jesus Christ, his son. My suggestion is this. While the Bible never outright condemns drinking, and I want to be as honest and biblical as I can before you, even on this sensitive issue, I do believe that the higher teaching of Scripture is that the wisest choice is to avoid it totally so that you don't give yourself the chance to be destroyed by it or to ruin your testimony and be partly responsible for ruining someone else's life who sees and follows your example. I pray today that God, through his Holy Spirit, will help us not just to look at this issue of alcohol, but to look at all of the things that we wrestle with in the Christian life and be honest with what Scripture says. Ask ourselves the tough questions. Is this really important to my life moving forward? Or am I trying to replace something that God wants for me to enjoy with something the world tells me I need? Because don't forget, in the very next part of the verse, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's pray.